What's up, Crossroads? How are you guys doing this morning? So good to see you. My name's Dwayne. I'm one of the pastors here. I got to share with my friends in Hayward earlier this morning and then got to drive down here looking forward to seeing you. So excited as we wrap up this series, Resilient Faith. And we've looked at three common practices together that will help us to build a strong faith that can endure the storms of life, whether you face uh, persecution, which we saw in this, this great book that we've been sharing from, uh, whether you're facing uh, some financial failures, some health issues, some relational problems. God wants you to grow a faith that will take you through those storms of life. And we've been looking at that together. And I just want to do a quick review. Before they pop up on the screen, first we said you need a passion for what? Anybody remember? Passion for worship, right? Passion to express our heart of worship, our love for God. We encourage you to have some time each day to worship God on your own, to get some good worship music and sing in your car or sing in your house or sing somewhere where you won't drive people crazy, right? And then you sing and worship God. Second, we said you need a hunger for what? You need a hunger for what? Your spiritual food. God's word, right? You guys don't sound real sure. God's word. You need God's word it, to fill you up, to, to grow you, to nurture you. And if you just eat from God's word on, on the weekend and you wait a whole nother week, Man, you're not going to be much good by the end of the week. Spiritually, you're going to be empty and dried up, and you're going to be a little spiritually hangry. So you've got you to work on that. And then we said you need a devotion to what? Devotion to prayer, right? Talking to God and listening to God. You need to develop these basic habits in your life, and that will help grow your faith. And as your faith grows, you can't help but want to share it with someone else. You can't keep it to yourself. And God didn't design for you to just hold on to your faith and, and, and guard it. He wants us to share it. And the cool thing is, as you share your faith, taking some steps of courage and, and, and stepping out in faith, it actually grows your faith. It's like a spiritual workout. The main cause of persecution in believers in other countries, the main cause, the main reason people get persecuted for their faith is because they don't keep their mouth shut, because they share with someone what God's doing in their life. They share the good news about Jesus and they begin to be attacked and persecuted in many places in the world today. But they said, you know, Jesus is so, such a real part of them, their faith, they can't keep it to themselves and they know that that's what God has called you and I to do, into a partnership with him. If you look at the first verse there on the top of your outline, before Jesus left his disciples, he'd been resurrected, he spent a few weeks with them. Before he went back to heaven, he said this, go and make disciples or make followers of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always. Jesus said, hey, this is what, why you're here. I want you to go and make disciples, share your faith, tell people about me, baptize them as they commit to follow me, and then teach them to obey. And the beautiful thing is you don't have to do it alone. He promises to go with you to never leave you. He'll give you the strength to do it. He'll grow that faith in you. Now, when Nip, Nick Ripkin, the author of the book we've been sharing about, the, the insanity of God, when he read this passage in the Bible as a young believer, as a young adult, he knew that this command from Jesus was for each follower of Christ. He knew it wasn't optional. He knew that's what Jesus is calling us to do. Not just pastors, not just missionaries, not just student workers, but everyone that's invited Christ into their life, they, we're commanded by God to share our faith. And so you and I, we have to make a critical decision. We all have to make a decision in our own life. 
And, and we have to determine who is going to be the Lord of our lives. That's the first fill-in on your outline there. Determine who is your Lord. In other words, who calls the shots in your life? What are you about? What, do you, what determines what you, how you act and what your priorities are? Do you call the shots in your life? Is it all about your comfort, getting all you can, having as much fun and much luxury and much pleasure as you can during your life? Is it all about you avoiding pain and, and, and just taking in the good? That's what our world tells us. That's what our culture tells us. Who, or, or are you living for someone else? Maybe you're living for your spouse. You just... You're just trying to keep your spouse happy. You love your spouse. You want to please them. Or maybe it's your kids. Or maybe it's your boss. Or maybe it's some people that you want to like you and you want to fit in. But who calls the shots in your life? Who's your Lord? Well, I want you to look at some people with me. They knew that Jesus was their Lord. They knew what it was about. You remember the disciples when Jesus was arrested and crucified? They ran and hid. I'd have probably been right there with them. They were, they were meeting behind a locked door after Jesus was, was crucified. But then Jesus was resurrected, and, and they saw him, and they, they spent some time with him over a period of six weeks. And then before Jesus went back to heaven, he gave them this command, and they knew. And they went from running and hiding to boldly sharing about Jesus. They, they, they got busy about doing what Jesus told them to do because they knew that he was their Lord. They knew why they were here to tell people about Jesus. Now we've shared this before. You, you know there's two things you cannot do in heaven. You can't sin and you can't tell people about Jesus. So why do you think God left you here on earth? It's not a trick question. He didn't leave you here to sin, okay? He left you here to share your faith, all right? I see some of you are looking a little puzzled. I'll just help you out. Jesus' command is why Paul and Karen started this campus, this church in Fremont 22 years ago. It's why we started a campus in Hayward. It's our purpose. It's our mission. It's why we exist. And everything we do in life should, should be all about honoring God first. In all the relationships, in our work, in our play, in our families, we put God first. And as we begin to grow more and more like Christ and, and we live for him, it gives God honor. It points people to him. And so that's what God has called us to do. And these disciples who ran and hid, once they experienced the risen Jesus, they now they stood and they preached boldly. See, they got arrested. They got dragged in before the religious leaders who were like the political rulers of that, that area of uh, the Roman Empire, the Jewish area. They also had a lot of political power. Remember these religious leaders? They were the ones who stirred the people up and got Jesus executed. And these very religious leaders, they, they, they had these disciples arrested. They brought them in. They threatened them. Don't you ever teach about Jesus again or you're going to pay. Well, they just went on about preaching about Jesus. And so they got arrested again. They brought them before the Sanhedrin. And there on your outline, it, they called them in and they said, Look, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. And Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Can you underline that phrase? <clears throat> Have you made that choice? I mean, who are you living to please? Who are you living to obey? Man, that's some, that's some bold faith. I mean, these are guys who were running and hiding, and now they're, they're like, they're on trial for their very lives, and they say, look, we got to obey God, not you. Now, that's not all they said. Look at this. Peter said, God raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. Man, he's like, 
you guys killed him, but he's alive. Man, that's pretty bold. And this really upset the leaders. If you read, I skipped ahead a few verses there, but if you read the rest of the story, they wanted to kill the disciples. But one of the, one of the leaders stood up and said, look, guys, let's don't kill him. If this isn't really true, if we just keep our mouths shut, it'll die down and go out. But if we kill these guys, we're going to make them martyrs. We're just going to fan the flames. And so they didn't kill them. But here's what they did. We skipped to verse 40. They called the apostles in. They had them flogged. They had them flogged. Now, anybody here ever get spankings when you were a kid? I got a lot. I was the oldest. I, I set the example for my... I got a lot of spankings. I was headstrong. I was a handful. And, uh, you know... You get some discipline. It's a good thing I got some spankings. It probably kept me out of prison. And I think a few more people could use some spankings today. But we don't really do that much anymore. I remember going to get the, the little willow branches from the tree, you know, the willow switches. And, uh, but we don't really do that much anymore. It might do some people some good. But let me tell you, when you get flogged, it's a lot worse than your worst spanking you ever got. Man, they, they would pull your, they would expose your back, and they would whip you, and they would rip pieces of flesh off your back. And so they caught them in, and they flogged them. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. And then they left. These disciples left rejoicing. Can you circle the word rejoicing? Man, I just don't know if that would be my reaction, to be honest. I'd be like, come on, God, I'm trying to live for you, and things are so hard. Why did this happen? But they left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Savior. And eventually, all this preaching about Jesus cost all of these disciples their lives except John. They all died for their faith. But they rejoiced because they knew that Jesus is worth it. You, know, you write that in there? Jesus is worth it. The disciples in Acts, they never asked for prayer to be safe from persecution. They asked for courage and the words to speak. They knew Jesus was worth it. Jesus had forgiven them for their sins, removed their guilt, restored them to a relationship, a right relationship with their Heavenly Father. And let me ask you, what is Jesus worth to you? What is he worth to you? What would you give up if you had to give up everything in your life? What's the one thing you would hold on to? What has Jesus done for you? Is he worth it in your life? When Nick Ripken went around the world and he, he interviewed these Christians who had been persecuted, they didn't ask him to go back and fight for, the, fight for their rights, you know, rally the American government to speak up for their rights. They asked for boldness and courage. They asked that they wouldn't betray their faith. They knew that Jesus was worth everything. And they wanted nothing more than for their kids to know Jesus. Very important. See, these, the communist countries and Islamic countries that wanted to stamp out Christianity, they knew if they could stop faith from going to the next generation, that within one generation it would just die out. And so they did everything they could. They would take children away from their parents. They would put the parents in jail. They would make fun of the kids in front of their classmates for their, their parents' faith. They would tell the parents, your kids can't go on to high school or college. They can't go on to a higher education because of your faith. And they would do everything they could to get the parents to deny their faith or get the kids to turn on their parents. But these parents, they knew what mattered most, and they kept sharing Jesus with their children. And there was one pastor in the Soviet Union. He heard that the next day he was going to be arrested. And so he called his family together. He looked at his three kids, and he said, look, 
I'm going to be arrested because I'm sharing about Jesus. And I can't stop. I know that's what I have to do for my Lord. And they're going to put me in prison and I don't know what's going to happen. And we're going to trust that God's going to take care of you. I know in some of the areas around us, they're taking whole families. And they're taking them and hanging them all. Executing whole families sometimes. And he said, I'm, I'm praying that God will, when I go to prison, God will help me to stand strong and that he'll protect you. But he said, if they take you and your mom, and I hear in prison that you were, you were hung for your faith and you didn't deny your faith. So I'm going to pray that doesn't happen to you, but if it does, he said, I'll be the proudest father you'd ever know. He said, because I want you to know Jesus. I want you to know that he's worth everything. He's the most important thing in life. And that's hard for us to wrap our heads around because we don't live in that kind of culture or environment. They said he's, he's worth everything. And they kept sharing because they know that lost people matter to God. That's your next fill-in. Lost people, people that are separated from God, the Bible says they're lost. That relationship, they're, they're, they're been set apart from God because of their sin. And we all start out like that. We all sin. We all wind up lost. And Jesus came to find us, to bring us back into a relationship. The Bible says he left the comfort of heaven. He inconvenienced himself to come and face persecution, to die for us on the cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven and free and found. We could have that relationship with God. And the Bible tells us Satan hates God and he hates everything that God loves. And so therefore Satan hates us. Satan hates the name of Jesus. And Satan is at work in the world to keep people from hearing about Jesus. He's doing whatever he can. And Nick, Nick Ripkin said this. He said, believers who do not share their faith the ones who don't share, they keep their mouth closed. They aid and abet Satan's ultimate goal of denying others access to Jesus. Our silence makes us accomplices. Now think about that for a minute. You and I don't have to run around and persecute people for their faith and make fun of them and mock them. All we have to do is keep our mouth shut. And we're like, we're like cooperating with Satan's mission. He wants to keep people from knowing about Jesus. That really shook me up. You know, because I try to share my faith. I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. I'm not that good at talking to strangers or people I don't know, but I try to talk to people and connect to them outside that, you know, that I run into in the community. But, you know, it just, it just stirred something up in me that I need to be more intentional about trying to share my faith. So let's look together at sharing our faith. You know, I look around this room. I know a lot of you pretty well. You know, I, I, I think there's a lot of good people in this room. You know, if we read about fires or hurricanes or floods, so many of you will, will dig deep into your pockets and you'll send money to help people. You'll send money to, for people who've lost everything. You'll, you'll go deep. You'll sacrifice. You'll give so that they can be uh, okay. But you know, I can't think of anything better that we could give to someone than to share our faith to share the hope that we have, to share the good news, to, to share how they can have a relationship with God and have the forgiveness for the guilt of their sin. That's the greatest thing we could share with someone. You know, when uh, Nick started his, his mission, he started out working in Somalia. And there weren't many believers in Somalia at all, almost none. 
but a lot of his workers on his team were Christians, and then they hired Muslims to work with him there from the country. And so one of these guys became his friend, and he saw that some of the funerals, when, when Christians would lose a loved one, when they would lose a Christian loved one, this friend came to him, this Muslim friend, and he said this, why is it that only these followers of Jesus know exactly where they are going after death? We bury our people. We weep. We walk away. And we do not know where our loved ones are. Why? Why have Jesus' followers kept these things from us? Man, they don't have that hope. They don't know if they're okay with Allah. They don't know if they're all right with God. They, they don't have that confidence that we have when we lose someone we love that loves the lord i know i'm gonna see him again one day i miss him i'm sad but it's different from not knowing where they are and he said why do they keep this from themselves well sometimes it's because they're afraid i mean in some places if you share it you pay for that but in america that's not really our problem some of us struggle with what happened to this lady maybe you heard about this in the babylon Bee reported a woman dies of awkward feeling while sharing her faith did you see that now, this is a satirical Christian website that kind of pokes fun at Christians, okay? That's not a real true story, but that's, you know, it's not, some of us live that way. It's like, oh my gosh, I just can't, well, I just can't share with anybody because something might happen. Man, are you prepared to share? I mean, it can be awkward. Um, I'll give you that. It can be embarrassing. It can be, it can divide some friendships, but nobody's going to kick in your door and drag you off to prison because you talk to them about Jesus. Nobody's going to follow you after this service today. I mean, there's countries, man. You, go out, you meet with other Christians. They're going to follow you. They're going to see who you talk to. They're going to see who else you've poisoned. And then they're going to come take you or take your kids or, or mess, get you fired from your job. We, we, don't, we don't have to worry about that. But it is awkward. So I want, I want you to look at a real-life situation with me. Watch this video from some parents on the sidelines at a soccer game. So uh, watch this. Roger, honey, no, I, I, don't, I don't want to sit there. I want to sit towards the center. It's less crowded down here. But there's no action down here. Well, uh, who knows? I mean, today they might actually get close to the goal. Roger, honey, I'm not sitting there. Now, come on. All right, but if Lee shows up, I'm leaving. You want to sit all the way down here just to stay away from Lee? That's kind of childish, don't you think? Well, he bothers me. He just likes talking to you. Yeah, about his daughter and all the things she does wrong in the field. Oh, he's excited. He's draining. He seems drawn to you. Yeah, like poison ivy. Oh, come on. Please. Okay, but you know what? I'm telling you. If he shows up... Hey, look who we got here. I'm leaving. Oh, don't be rude. Hey, Lee! Hi, Michelle! Hi! Beautiful day, huh? Oh, yeah, much better than last week. So, you coming or going? Oh, I'm... coming coming. I sure hope they win today. Well, you know, seeing as though they've never even made a goal, let's not get our hopes too high. Hey, they better. I spent all week with Nicole in the backyard practicing her offensive moves. I tell you, the girl is like a dead weight. She's got no anticipation whatsoever. Well, they're only seven. <laughs> hey, when I was four, I used to run circles around my older brother. Yeah, well, Hey, hey Lee! How's that deck coming? Not fast enough for my oh. taste. The deck is coming along just fine. Oh, it sounds beautiful. Oh, it is. This contractor is just fabulous. Okay, girls, let's move it out there, people. Score some goals, ladies. Go All right, come on, girls, let's go. What, they lost the ball already? 
What, Nicole? Pay attention out there. That ball went right by you. Just focus, honey. Oh, for crying out loud. Focus. Try to get the ball back, girls. Run, Nicole, run! Don't skip! Kendra, get the ball, get the ball! No, 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 honey, don't look at me. Look at the ball, the ball, the, the one that just went by you. No, 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 it's okay, honey, you'll get it next time. How do you stay so calm? Doesn't this drive you crazy? We're having a good time. Having a good time? How can you have a good time if you're a loser? Honey, don't call them losers. What do you call a team that hasn't scored a goal in 15 games? The Cubs? It's a baseball team. I know, I was making a joke. <laughs> Kendra, get off the ground. Honey. Stand up, stand up. Uh, get off the grass. No, 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 honey, I'm not yelling at you. I just want you to stand up. It's okay, sweetie. Nicole, stop dancing and play soccer. Honey, you can do pirouettes later. I'm crying out loud, this is no time to have fun. This is a soccer game. You can do it, Nicole. Kendra! Nicole! You're doing great, honey. Way to go, sweetie. Well, they're not going to play at all if you make them feel bad. Let's get a drink. So, uh, uh, did you play any sports? Football. Uh, any good? No. <laughs> you know, my old man used to scream at me at every lousy game. and finally got to the point where I had to hide the game schedule. Yeah, mine would come to practice and get on the field with me. <laughs> You're kidding. Oh, yeah. You can imagine how popular I was with the other guys. Nicole! Nicole, don't just stand there! Run! This is a game of soccer, not the game of statue! I mean, my old man used to scream at me at every lousy game. Nicole! Uh, kind of like I am right now. Yes, I see you. You're standing up. That is so good. Well, you don't seem much like your old man. You seem pretty controlled. What, what's your secret? What? You know, your secret to not getting upset. Oh, well, uh, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I gotta grab a soda. Uh, I'll be right back. Lisa. Oh, yeah, excuse us. What? What's up? He wants to know why I'm not like my dad. What'd you tell him? Well, nothing yet. Well, what are you gonna say? Well, this is my chance. I mean, I, I should tell him about God, right? Yeah. Oh, that's what I was afraid of. Well, huh? Will you come with me? No! This, this, is, this is guy talk, you know? I mean, besides, he asked you, not me. Oh, thanks a lot. Well, <laughs> well the, uh, well, the reason I'm not like my dad is because, well, uh, recently I've come into a relation, uh, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And since turning my life over to God, my, my marriage is better. I'm a better dad. I've, I've even been able to forgive my own dad. And, and if you want to know Jesus as your personal savior and friend, I can take you through the steps right now. If you like. Huh? Oh, I'm sorry. Did you say something? Huh? No, no, no. <laughs> I mean, uh, well, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, Lisa and I, we, you know, we were thinking that maybe, uh, you know, you and, and uh, Michelle and uh, Nicole might uh, come over to our house after the game. Well, you know, for a cookout uh, or some games or something. Your, your house for, for a cookout? Yeah. Michelle, Nicole, and, and, and me. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, Michelle. Yeah. Uh, Roger and Lisa want us to come over, over to their place after the game for a cookout. 
We do. We do. Yes, yeah. we do. Mm -hmm. For a cookout. Well, we'd love to. Oh, I guess we'd love to. Great. 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 Mm. Oh, great. Great. We, we got to go. We got to go. Nicole, she, she kicked it in. There go. It tripped over Kendra when she was lying on the ground. <laughs> Way to go, Kendra. Way to use your body, honey. All right, we gotta go. We made a goal! So we've all been in those situations where we know it's a chance to share and we kind of freeze up. We get a little nervous. That's natural. That's normal, but Jesus promised to help us. And as you grow your faith, he'll help you. And there's three, there's three simple ways we can share faith. The first is just to, number one, invite someone. Invite someone. You know, it's actually biblical. Philip, he was, he was a disciple of John the Baptist. So he was following John the Baptist, and John the Baptist saw Jesus, and he said, look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and Philip decided to go hang out with Jesus for a day and find out about him. And he very quickly realized that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior that they'd been waiting for. And so the first thing he did was he rushed home to tell his brother Nathaniel. He couldn't keep it to himself. But Nathaniel was one of those skeptical people. Maybe, maybe you know someone like Nathaniel, and uh, Philip tells him, hey, this Jesus of Nazareth, he's the Messiah, he's the Savior. And Nathaniel said, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, I don't know what place you look down on, but that was kind of how he was. And, and Philip didn't try to argue with him or explain. He simply said, come and see. Come and see. Come with me. Come, let's go find out about Jesus. Let's meet with him. Come to church. Let's hear about him. Let's, let's meet with his people. And you, you, know, you have a great opportunity this week. I mean, we've given you some, some invite cards in your program. And a lot of people that don't normally go to church, they're thinking about going to church at Easter or Christmas. And you can say, look, hey, would you, would you like to come to church with me next week? I'd love for it if you'd come with me and sit with me. I go to a great church. I'd love for you to come and just experience it with me. It mean a lot to me. Invite them. Give them the card. E even easier, if they have little kids, you can say, look, we're having an Easter egg hunt. And they can come out and meet some people from Crossroads and experience that and make some connections, and you can invite them. Invite somebody. I mean, it's, it's, it's not that hard to, to invite somebody, to just start a conversation with them. Now, again, I told you... I, I'm not always good at talking to people I don't know about. I've worked really hard over the last few years trying to be more open to strangers and talking to people. And on uh, Mondays, I hang out in Hayward while one of my kids is in a, taking a class at Chabot. And uh, I hang out in this co coffee shop. And this week, I was working on the message. And so I had my, my legal pad. I had the Insanity of God book open. And I was just jotting a few things down, skimming back through my highlights. And there was a young guy sitting next to me. He's about 25 years old. He looked over and he, he kind of chuckled and he goes, oh, I don't see many people using those things anymore. I looked at him and go, oh, my pen and paper? He goes, yeah, right. And he's kind of, you know, we kind of had a good laugh. And he, we started talking. I was busy. I had, I had some things to do, but I thought, oh, this is a chance to share with this guy. So we started talking a few minutes. And then he says, uh, oh, what are you reading? <laughs> oh, the insanity of God. <laughs> he goes, well, that's an unusual title. What is that about? So I started telling him and he said, I said, would you, like to, would you like to visit our church? Pulled out one of the invite cards. We meet right down the street there at, at the high school. Would you like to come and just find out more? And I offered him the card. We're just having a nice conversation. You know, he said, oh, oh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to be real honest. I, I'm not really interested. 
You know, I'm not really interested in religious things. I have my own way. It's working for me. And I said, okay, well, I appreciate that. You don't argue. You don't, you know, I just said, look, I, I really respect you, your beliefs. You seem like you've got a good head on your shoulder, and I appreciate your honesty. Uh, all I'm going to say, just remember this one thing. I said, you know, sometimes in life, you know, what, I've, what I've seen in working with people for a long time, God brings people to a place in life where things aren't working for them. And one day when you get there, I hope you'll remember, you know, hey, someone invited you to a church right down the road to come check out God's. And he goes, oh, I appreciate that. And then we talked a little bit about some other stuff, and we got back to our business, and his girlfriend came, and he started talking to me again, introduced me to his girlfriend. And you just try to be friendly. Just talk to people. You're not, it's not your job to argue them into believing in Jesus. You just share. Just invite. Take a risk. Okay, any of us could invite someone to come with us next weekend to church or any weekend. Second thing we can do, it's not really that much harder. It just takes a little bit of uh, preparation ahead of time. Just think through this. Look at Paul's example. How can you share your story? Share my story. So think with me, you know, you think about your story. What was your life like before Jesus? What was your life like before you knew Jesus? It's beautiful in Acts, man. We have Paul's whole story. Paul was arrested for his faith. He was brought before the, the local governor. He was being judged. And Paul, Paul boldly shares a story. He said, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Now there's a vacation package for you. Go visit Greece, and on your trip, you can hunt down some Christians. I mean, there was Paul traveling around the world, right? And he was dragging them off into prison, dragging them away from their families, having them thrown into prison, and many of them were put to death for their faith. Paul said he was obsessed with that. He was very sincere. He was sincerely wrong. He thought he was doing God a favor. God saw Paul's hateful, messed up heart, but he also saw that somewhere in there, Paul was trying to do something for God. And that's when God intervened. And Paul tells us, letter B, why I received Jesus. Why I received Jesus. See, Paul was on one of his trips. He's on the road to Damascus. He sees a bright light from heaven. He's blinded. He falls down by the road and he hears this voice. And it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads, like fighting against me. So Paul said, I asked, well, who are you, Lord? And the answer came, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. You see, so often when people are seeking God, maybe they don't even know it's God they're looking for. Paul didn't know the answer was Jesus, but you're looking for something in your heart. There's times in life we hear, we hear God speaking to us. It might not be like a voice from heaven. Most of us haven't had that experience. But I bet most of you in this room, at some point, you've just felt God speaking to you. You knew God was convicting you of your sin or drawing you to open up your heart to Jesus. And maybe some of you right now, you're here today, you sense God is speaking to your heart. He's tugging at your heart. He wants you to open up and let him in, to stop fighting, stop resisting, to surrender. Some of you, you you've been following Jesus for a long time, but you struggle with that whole lordship thing and God's saying, hey, let go. Make me Lord of your life. Share it. Some of you feel God speaking to you, but he intervenes into our lives. And Paul said, man, that <laughs> God broke into my life. He spoke to my heart, and I responded. Paul said he fell to the ground, and 
Jesus said, I have appeared to appoint you as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins by faith in me. So Paul said, uh, uh, Jesus said, Paul, I'm sending you out to share your faith, to be a witness of what you've seen. You don't have to be a theological teacher. You don't have to be able to argue with people. I want you to tell people what you've seen. And you tell them why you received Jesus. And then see, what was your life like after Jesus? What changed? What's different? If nothing changed, maybe you should be a little concerned. Go back and review that. But what was your life like after Jesus? Here's what Paul's life was like. He went from hunting down Christians to preaching about Jesus. He said, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and they tried to kill me. Now, that's an understatement. They tried to kill Paul a lot of times. Uh, five times, Paul says, they gave him 39 lashes, which is considered one short, one short of the death penalty. But they crowd one time, tried to kill him with stones, stoning him to death. His life was in danger many times. He said he'd gone without food and water and sleep. He'd been cold and naked because of his faith, because he was on the run. He was trying to escape and survive and preach again about Jesus. It's hard, to, it's hard to argue with life change. You're not having a theological debate. They're just talking about what you experienced. Now, maybe your, your experience in coming to Christ was not so dramatic. Maybe you just felt guilty. You felt guilty for the wrong in your life. And when you met Jesus, there was this relief washing over you, freedom from your, your guilt, forgiveness, or a relationship with God. Maybe you felt like your life had no purpose or meaning, and you met Jesus and it changed everything, and now you know what your life is about. Maybe you were lonely, you had no friends, or, or you had a dysfunctional family, or your family was far away, and God brought you into his family, and he placed you in a church family, and now you have relationship and support and love. Maybe you kicked an addiction. Maybe God changed your heart and saved your marriage. Maybe you went from living a self, selfish life to living a life of purpose trying to help others. I don't know, we've all got different stories. But you share your story, it's hard to argue with that. And if someone says, why do you believe that stuff? Why do you believe in that Jesus? Why do you go to church? I just say, take a few minutes and think think it through and be able to share your basic story with somebody in one to two minutes. What was your life like before Jesus? Why did you decide to invite Jesus into your life and how is your life different? Third thing we can all do is share in the witness of the church. We can all share in the witness of the church. See, when Jesus saves us from our sins and brings us into his family, he puts us in a church family. The Bible says he's the head. He directs us. We're the body. We're the different parts of the body. And he directs us to do his work. And there was a group of believers in Macedonia. See, the first thing the church does is it supports each other, it nurtures each other, cares for each other. And there was a group of Macedonian believers. They were very poor, but they heard that the Jerusalem church was being persecuted. And Paul said this, they begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. You give to help other people. You give to God through the church so other people can know about him. Because the church provides a a family, a home base for believers, and then it provides a witness in the community, a presence. Peter tells us that God has given each of you a gift. This is beyond your talents, beyond your education, beyond your experience. God's given each of you a spiritual gift a role to play in the family. And he says, use them well to serve one another. And we all have a role to play. Now, some of us, our role, 
the church is our base, and we go out in the community, and we help the poor, we help the homeless, we help the hungry. For many of us, our role is here in the church family. We help communicate the message. So we, we welcome people when they show up. When people come to church, a lot of times they're nervous. They don't know, for the first time, they don't know if we're going to be accepted or loved. And we have a welcome team to invite them in and show them where to go and answer their questions. Some of you, that's how you serve. You know, we have an audio and a tech team so people can hear and see. We have a music team to help us worship. We have people who come and help clean and repair the property, who, who count the money. And then we have people who work with our kids. You know, remember I mentioned earlier that one of the biggest strategies of people who oppose Christianity is they want to stop the faith from spreading to the kids. Now, do you think the world our kids lives in is really encouraging them to think about God and live for God and think of, man, we, families, it's hard raising kids in this world. And the church is here to come alongside our families. And you know, God has brought a lot of kids to our church and our campus here in Fremont. And he's bringing kids to our campus in Hayward. But you know, we have a lot of shortages of volunteers. We have a lot of, we don't have enough people to help. We don't have enough people to share. We don't have enough people to help train these up. We have a lot of children and teenagers in our families. But so many people, it's, they can't commit to serve because it's not convenient. It's not convenient. They don't want to be tied down. They want to have to be committed to serving twice a month or four times a month. And some of you know God's calling you to serve on one of the teams, but especially in this area of the kids, it, it really hurts me and it hurts our church because we say it's not convenient. And so I need to say something right now. So if you're here today and you're serving faithfully, you can check out for a minute or two, okay? You can make your shopping list right now, think about what you're going to do this afternoon. I don't, I don't know, but you can check out for a minute. Some of you, you honestly, you can't serve right now. Maybe you're in a season of life, you have little kids, you just can't. You're just trying to survive. I get that. Some of you, you have a job that's just eating you up right now. And it's not because you're not trying to set some boundaries, but maybe somebody got fired or laid off or you're, you teach little kids and you got a grade and all. You're just, you're just drowning. But most of us, we could be serving in the church, sharing in the witness of the church. We have to give up some other things, but we could be serving. And you know, we're not really into guilting. I don't think guilt is a good motivation. I'm not trying to guilt you. I'm trying to be a mirror right now, okay? I just want to be a mirror to you for a moment. And I'm not going to beat around the bush because I don't like it when people beat around the bush with me. I just like them to go ahead and tell me what I need to know. So I, some of you need to hear this. When you sense God speaking to your heart that it's time for you to step out and serve and go in the nursery and love on some little kids or teach some toddlers or teach some elementary kids or work with junior hires or get involved with the high school ministry and you just say, you know what, I don't want to be tied down. I'm too busy. There's other things I want to do with my weekend. It's just not convenient. I just want to say, how dare we? How dare we? When we have the freedom, we have the freedom. And there's people in other parts of the world, they're sharing their faith and their sacrifice. They're putting everything on the line. And that's not to say that, you know, you commit to serve. You can still go out of town once in a while. You can still go to Tahoe or Monterey or the wine country, wherever you like to go. You just arrange that with the, the ministry team leader. But see, a lot of us, we don't want to lose the, the flexibility, the freedom. We don't want to have to get up and, and serve somebody because I might miss something. I, it's about me. 
and I'm not disciplining myself so I can have the energy and time to serve and do what God's called me to do. Man, Jesus is worth it. When you serve, God will grow your faith. You'll get a blessing out of it. Now, it's work. I'm not saying it's not hard. It's not frustrating sometimes, but it's also a blessing. And when you serve, God will grow you, and he'll use you. And lost people matter to God. You know, one of my heroes, look at this lady. This lady is 70 years old, and she... She rides her bike, she doesn't drive, she rides her bike through this terrible traffic in Fremont every week, rain or shine, so that she can share God's love and participate in, in being a part of sharing her faith through the work of this church. Man, Jackie DeBitty. And she goes over there and loves on those kids. Those kids love her. She's been doing it for years. And God's calling some of you to join her, to make a sacrifice, to pay the price. Pastor Francis Chan said, people who are obsessed with Jesus do not consider service a burden. Obsessed people take joy in loving God by loving his people. The funny thing is, you start taking those steps, you start sacrificing, somehow God blesses you back. He gives back to you. He rewards you. We can all do it. Participate in the witness of our church. We give, we give our money, we give our time, we give our gifts, our spiritual gifts and our talents. But some of us are holding back. And I just say, man, it's time to step up. There's three ways we can share, and there's a fourth, the number four, the thing we have to do is we have to, again, we have to make a decision. We have to reject our culture of convenience. We live in this American culture, Western culture says it's all about you. Get everything you can, do everything you can, make sure... No inconveniences. Here's what Jesus said. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Can you underline that phrase, deny themselves and take up their cross? You know, carrying a cross is not a fun thing. I, I have a hard time even watching movies about it. I don't like watching Jesus carrying his cross and people making fun of him and spitting on him. People mocking him, nails being driven in his hands and his feet. That, that disturbs me. I don't like to watch it. I don't like to watch people being cruel to other people. Jesus said, you need to take, man, you need to take up your cross. Luke said daily. Jesus said daily. Take it up. You need to make some decisions. You need to say no to some things so you can say yes to some other things. Again, I'm not saying you can never have fun. The Bible says God's given us things for us to enjoy but man, if you're just living for your enjoyment and your fun and your satisfaction, you're missing it. And God says, you have, if you have a real faith and you want to have a resilient faith, you've got to have the kind of faith that motivates you to share and get involved. Last thing I want to say is Nick Ripkin was finishing this book. He said, so often in the Western church, when we start realizing what our brothers and sisters in Christ are experiencing in other countries, he said, we get we get a little over-focused on what they're going through. He said, we do need to know about it. We need to pray for them. We need to support them. But here's what he said to us. Instead of remembering, praying about, identifying with, and focusing on the suffering of fellow believers around the world, we would do well to shift our focus to ask ourselves whether or not we are being obedient to Jesus. See, we can just focus on them and praying for them and trying to change laws. He said, look, look at their lives and then look at you. Ladies, look at this man, then look at your man. No, look at their lives, then look at you. Can you underline this phrase? Ask ourselves whether or not we are being obedient to Jesus. 
He's asking us, he's expecting us, he's commanding us to share him wherever we go. It is simply a matter of obedience. If he's our Lord, then we will obey him. If we do not obey him, then he is not our Lord. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for inconveniencing yourself, suffering, enduring persecution and rejection and hostility so that we could be forgiven, so that I could be forgiven, so I could experience love and peace and joy that the world can't offer, so I can have a relationship with you forever. And God, I pray that you'll help us to discipline ourselves, to, to have a passion for daily worship, for a hunger for your word, to devote ourselves to prayer. And God, as you grow our faith, pray that you give us the spiritual courage not to keep it to ourselves. God, break our hearts for those people who don't know you. Help us not to be so comfortable. Help us not to live for ourselves first. But God, help us to put you first and live for you. And I pray that you will, you will stir up our faith as individuals and as a church family. And that you'll use us to make a difference in a broken and hurting world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.